This is Lead Stories. I'm Utrice Lead, and we latch on to what we started yesterday. Uh, quite a few people wanted to contribute, but we ran out of time. But I believe very strongly that, so what? We ran out of time, so we give you some time. How about that? It's not very difficult to solve. It's a very easy problem to solve uh, because you deserve time. You deserve to be heard. And so we make the time to hear you. The number to call is 888-874-4888. And we were talking about what have you learned? What have you learned that you, you, that you hadn't learned before? In the last, I should say in the recent past, what would you say you have come to learn and appreciate the knowledge uh, that you didn't know before or you didn't appreciate it before or you didn't, you didn't know it before? And how did your life? 888-874-4888. You know, every now and then, it happens to me too, every now and then, it could be something, a phrase that you hear somewhere out of the blue, or it could be something that reminded you of somebody who was extremely influential in your life. And neither you nor the person actually knew how influential they were because they didn't have a chance to talk about it. But with all these years, all this water under the bridge, you find from time to time that the truths that were shared with you, that were taught earlier in your life, come into sharp focus and you say, wow, some people may think that they're teaching you something new, but you heard that way back then and from the source that people would not expect. Has that happened to you? Have you been able to go back some of the hotly debated issues of the day but they really had a, a genesis in your head a long time ago because people brought cer certain things to your attention and gave you certain information that you carried with you all this time. And suddenly, out of nowhere, it hits you. So that's what they were talking about. Wow. That's at least 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but it is as timely as ever, it's as fresh as ever, applicable to life today, your life today. 888-874-4888. Let's try moving it along today so that we can get more people uh, talking. Oops, I just... I just made my notes disappear. I'm very talented, you know. <laughs> but I remember before I lost sight, I think I saw the name Marcus. Was I right? Yes, you are. I, I, I hope uh, my transmission is okay. I'm in kind of an iffy location here. Well, you sound pretty good for being iffy. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you very much, you, Therese. Thank um, you. The, the main thing I've uh, come to understand far more deeply just in the last few years, I always suspected this and had pretty good evidence for it, but I've come to understand how 
how real this is just in the last few years, particularly um, since COVID, but really, to me, since the Reagan administration. Um, I've come to understand that while the conspiracies of the wealthy and their stooges in political life are a serious threat to humanity, the real cause of tyranny is our complicity with it, that our playing along, and I I have to admit, a couple of your callers yesterday uh, really brought this home for me. Uh, We have various rationales for making excuses for our complicity and our conformity, and we'll dress it up in different ways uh, with our learned helplessness or uh, we're dispirited or we're actually following some divine plan that wants me to continue to play along with this monstrosity. And so we have various ways of extending our childhood and uh, our inability to take any responsibility for the world we take part in and have created. Um, We've gotten extremely practiced at it. It's, It's almost reflexive. We don't even have to think about it. It's as common as a cold. And if, if I may, just briefly, I'm not going to try and make an extended political argument about anything with you today, but I would like to share this, which has been a great inspiration in my own life. I came across it at the age of 21. Uh, oddly enough, the person who said this, was also 21 at the time. I I, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Sophie Scholl. Outside of Germany, this isn't a well-known name. But during the reign of the Nazis in Germany, she was a young college student who, with her brother, had formed a nonviolent group called the White Rose Society. And against the dictates of the Nazis, they distributed anti-war literature, which they had to print themselves on the sly, in secret, and risked their lives to do it. They were eventually caught, and Sophie Scholl was guillotined by the Nazis as um, a traitor at the age of 21. And I came across this quote from her. This is what she wrote. She said, the real damage is done by those millions who want to, quote, survive. The honest men who just want to be left in peace those who don't want their little lives disturbed by anything bigger than themselves, those with no sides and no causes, those who won't take measure of their own strength for fear of antagonizing their own weaknesses, those who don't like to make waves or enemies, those for whom freedom, honor, truth, and principles are only literature. Those who live small, mate small, die small. It's the reductionist approach to life. If you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you. But it's all an illusion because... They die, too, those people who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe. Safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. 
narrow streets lead to the same place as wide avenues, and a little candle burns itself out just like a flaming torch does. I choose my own way to burn. I would just pass that along, take that into your future life, and see if it works on you. Quite profound. Very profound. And thank you. And very appropriate. Very much so. Thank you, Marcus, for getting us started on that particular note today. Thank you. 888-874-4888. What have you come to realize was relevant all along, except that when you first learned it, it didn't seem too relevant. It didn't seem particularly important to know. But with the passage of time and with the experiences you have had in between then and now, you've learned a lot. What do you recall of something that impacted you so deeply that even now, years and years from the moment that you first heard it or experienced it, it comes alive in your memory and shapes your thinking even now. Could you recall? 888-874-4888. What did it help you learn then? that you know now. We seldom think that, you know, we carry these memories. Uh, We think them as being momentary. They occurred in a moment and you remember bits and pieces. But all the while they're shaping, they're having profound impact on your thinking and on your life, how you live your life. And sometimes it takes quite a while before you recognize the extraordinary impact of it and why you hold on to it so tenaciously. It is something that actually now for you becomes a necessary reference point because it is so impactful, so truthful, so relevant to your life today. Have you ever had such an experience? What did it help you shape yourself into to just weather the storm and to keep moving? How did it fortify you? How did it make you different and more courageous? Do you recall that? I would love to know. Share it with us and let's hear how these things have had impact on you, how it shaped your life, your outlook on life even. Eve from Edgewater, you're on the the air. Good afternoon, Eutrice. Good afternoon, Eve. How are you doing? Hanging in there. That's good. We're pretty hard here last month with the hurricane. Yeah. It was pretty bad. I I was glad to see that. I don't think you got hit too hard over where you're at, right? No. We didn't escaped really bad news. We were quite lucky. Yeah, when it came across from Fort Myers, then it came straight towards Edgewater. (laughs) We got like uh, 30 inches of rain. Most of the houses in my area got flooded. And it's a shame all these people, houses got flooded. I had some water got into the uh, garage and the Florida room, but didn't come in the house. I was very lucky because 70 percent of the people's houses were flooded and all their furniture is still out in front of the houses and all kinds of stuff is out there. A month and a month and a week later. Well, so what are you what are you contributing to us today? Well, 
I'm going to go all the way back to 1964. I was 10 years old. You were 11 years old. You were living in Trinidad. (laughs) You were in Trinidad, and I was in Brooklyn. And uh, they had this thing coming out called the World's Fair. The World's Fair in Flushing Meadows Park was going to be this great thing. And uh, I was 10 years old, and I didn't know, what's this World's Fair? Well, my parents took me, and I thought it was the greatest thing. It was like Disney World. They made it in, like, no time, and it was this giant place with all these things to do, and it was so wonderful. I I couldn't believe that the government loved us so much, that they gave us this World's Fair to, to help us to forget what happened just a year before when the President Kennedy was murdered. And, you know, that was the dark cloud over us. And now this World's Fair was going to make it all good again. Lyndon Johnson was all happy. Oh, we're going to have the World's Fair. You know, I thought this World's Fair was great. Me and my friends, we used to go there many times. It was only going to be for two years, from 64 to 66. I couldn't believe they built all this stuff just for two years. But uh, that's where it was, and we went to it uh, many times, and each time we went, we saw more things and thought it was all so great. And then I realized uh, 50 years later, I guess, that uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was. What it was was a big commercial for corporations like DuPont and General Motors and General Electric. They all had their pavilions and they all made like they, they were on our side so much. They loved us so much. They made this great place for us to come and amuse ourselves with. And we, I remember going into the DuPont Pavilion, and there was scientists behind this glass, like a laboratory they made there. And we watched them turn liquid into thread. They made thread out of liquid. How could it be possible? But there it was right in front of our eyes. The liquid came out of the faucet, and by the time uh, a couple of feet, it was already solidifying and being stretched onto a spool and wound up, and it was a spool of thread was made out of liquid, made out of petroleum, polyester, nylon, bandlon, all those nylon things were made from petroleum to take the place of cotton and wool and those silk and all those natural things that we were used to having. And this was going to be great because now we didn't have to worry about getting all those things. We, we can make it. We can make thread and we can make clothing out of this, this thread that we, that we make from oil. The great oil thing was, was saving our world, boy. Yeah, so this was, this was a big commercial for us to buy into all the corporations I guess that around 1964 is when they started to take charge more in uh, the politics of the world. And uh, that was my big realization, Trice, that this wasn't no great thing that they made for us to enjoy ourselves. It was just a big commercial for the corporations that were going to be taking over our lives and getting us to buy into all the crap that they were going to sell us. And that's the way it went. And here we are, 2022, long time since 1964. Look at the shape of the world. Yeah. Also. So all these years, what have you carried with you that began in 1964? What lessons? Lessons were that you could be tricked at any moment. You could be tricked, and you have to be very aware of what's going on around you, and you can't allow yourself to be tricked because the trickery is at such a level that, they can, that you, you could see something with your own eyes and say, this is this, but no, the trick is so good. I can't even explain it all to people. I try, and I try, and I try. I just can't get through to the people, something that I see so clearly, like the, the Donald Trump game. Uh, what, what did I carry 
since 1964, just I guess that's when I really started to become skeptical. But you know, at that time, in '64, I thought the World's Fair was a wonderful thing, and 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 at least I kept that for many years in my mind, thinking that that was a great thing. It wasn't until probably 9/11 when I started to see things changing drastically and how our freedoms were being taken away from us that I started to to look back in history and see where else they started to manipulate us, you know? And it it goes way back, farther back than I know, and I always go back to where the King of England was having the problem with William Wallace uh, leading the Scots and, and the Irish against the King of England. They made the movie Braveheart about it. And, you know, his problem was he couldn't, relax and enjoy his kingdom because he always had these people revolting against the kingdom and he didn't he had to have people eat his food before he could eat it because he didn't know somebody was going to try to poison so how are we how is he gonna like get these people to calm down and enjoy their lives uh, of slavery instead of uh, always trying to revolt against the kingdom it wasn't going to happen. So they had to big, make big boats that could go across the ocean and find a new land where they could start right from the beginning and get the people that came across in those boats to think that here they're going to be given this new land that's going to be theirs, and the king is going to go back to England with his tail between his legs and, and just just let them have this place you got this place you take care of these native american people you build this place up and we're staying out of it yeah they've always been in control we never got away from the king of england and we've never been free that was all just an illusion there's a lot of stuff that I'm skipping through Teresa. it takes a long time i know time but, but i i i I was listening intently to you unfold lessons that you had learned for yourself by simply paying attention. Well, bringing up the movie Braveheart brings me back to the actor Patrick McCuen, who played the part of King Edward Longshanks. And I think he played it to a T. Deserved the Academy Award. I know the the movie won Best Picture, but he also, as I feel, progress is our enemy. Is what Patrick McGowan feels. He was also in a TV show in England called uh, Danger Man. They called it Secret Agent Man here in the 1960s. And then he did, he got tired of making that show, and he didn't want to do it anymore. So he came up with another idea called The Prisoner. And they made mm-hmm. the next TV series called The Prisoner, was where he resigned as the secret agent man and now didn't want to be part of the government anymore. He just wanted to be free. And he thought he resigned, but they drugged him and kidnapped him and put him on this island where they kept him a prisoner. And this, this was all explained in great detail by Patrick McGowan. Uh, in the last few years of how we're, how he feels progress is our enemy and we should have just <laughs> stayed the way we were. It's, it's, uh, it's very uh, intricate. Yes, it is. And on a whole different level, it's very uh, much political education as well to keep you thinking about the, the circumstances that we are living in today, and does any of that stuff that is marketed as a kind of a fiction, is any of that stuff relevant to our way of living today? Thank you. That was a nice little uh, trip back. Thank you so much for calling in and contributing today. Dylan from the Bronx, you're on the air at 888-874-4888. Go ahead. 
Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I'm at the gym, so I'm hoping that the, the noise in the background isn't too disturbing. Um, but I felt compelled to call in because it it's a very interesting question. And first of all, I want to say that Marcus is amazing. But um, I, when I was in my mid to late 20s, I was living in Los Angeles, and I met a gentleman, an African-American gentleman, who I don't know how we got into this conversation, but he mentioned to me, he said, young man, do you know that um, he was doing some sort of study, and he said, don't you know that you know, white people are smarter than black people? And I looked at him like he was crazy, <laughs> being a young person in his 20s. And I said, are you crazy? And he explained it to me. He said, I'm not saying that they're more intelligent than we are. I'm just saying that they're smarter than we are. And he explained, you know, world experience. They have access to more things in the world than we do, uh, education. And I, I still didn't get it. I was so angry at him because I thought he was a sellout. But then I met another gentleman who was black, and he had spent an enormous amount of time in prison. And he said to me, young man, if you can uh, meet a white person who's going somewhere, you can hit your star in their wagon and you'll go a long way. And as I grew older, I began to understand what these people were telling me. They weren't telling me that white people are more intelligent than we are because they're not. In fact, a study was, was created that said that at birth, uh, uh, an African-American female uh, at birth is more intelligent than anyone else at birth. So I, it helped me as I grew along in my life to keep me open, to understand that, to humble myself and not demean myself by not thinking that I'm not intelligent because I know that I am. But just to understand that the world that we live in um, is more based around, you know, um, them and they're the, they're the majority and they have insider information on things that we don't. And it doesn't make us less. It just lets me know that uh, the people that I've met, it has helped me to garner friendships and not keep people away. And it has helped me tremendously in my business life and in my personal life. So that's all I wanted to say. All right. Well, thank you for contributing. Thanks a lot. Gino from the Bronx, you're on the air. You trees, surprise. Hello. <laughs> a reminder that nature, you know, all things balance out. You don't hear from me for months, and here I am two days in a row. <laughs> There's a law in there, compensation somewhere. So uh, what do we got? We have, uh, first of all, I want to say, um, you're keeping me from the botanical gardens because the colors are spectacular. And uh, But I, I'm not complaining. It's a good, It's a good just saying that, you have that effect and your call is and the topic. So uh, I know your show will be on for another 20-so minutes, and I'll get out there for another four hours. So remember, all folks in the Bronx, it's free all week long except Monday. Unless it's a holiday, it'll be open. Just show Bronx ID and bring your kids in a beautiful place to feed their spirit and get away from some of the craziness of the streets. Okay, so topic, philosophy, what moves us the most, what stays with us? as a guiding star to the rest of our lives. All right, so uh, Ed has got, uh, he's got skepticism, uh, which I, I could touch base with that, with the systems for the most part. I could go with the inside information with the Dylan. Um, what I know I've said this before, but you have many new listeners, and every day is valuable because I know this past year a lot of people I've known I passed on again, and uh, including my elderly neighbor, Frankie, who was 93. And so I try not to take any day for granted, and given your callers, we know David's still there, which is great to hear. I wonder where uh, Mott is. I haven't heard Mott in a while. So yes, I, I want to Excuse me? Go ahead. Oh, so uh, if you're out there, Mott, call in again. So... Uh, I, I just uh, say, what what can I contribute? Well, you know, you're coming from uh, the, the, the Bronx, uh, my teen years with the drugs and the racial violence and the craziness of it all, people beating other people up for no reason, other people beating themselves up for no reason with drugs. It was very chaotic. And I wondered, what is, and then my mom passing when I was 16, I wonder, what is the meaning of all this? You know, it caused me to get away from my head and really go into a deep place and in that vacuum and looking up at the stars and what is this all about? Where do we, is there something there? Where do we come from? Where'd she go? 
And, well, first clue was a few months later, I had a dream with my mom where she looked so beautiful, and she was telling me telepathically, don't worry, I'm okay. And she looked okay, and I felt she was okay, and I woke up with it. This was before I pursued, you know, some spiritual studies. Eventually, I found uh, the Tree of Life bookstore in Harlem, which you may recall was a wonderful place for Tanya yes. and uh, Doc. Remember that place? Yes. At, uh, I was, yeah, that was a beautiful, inspiring place. Kanye and Dr. Dr. Who was the herbalist to uh, help me with that? Dr. Well, Sebi? No, no, uh, doctor, no, not Dr. Sebi. There was another man who worked with the herbs. So anyway, it was a beautiful place. I mean, Earth, Wind, and Fire bought every book in the store. I got more books about Edgar Casey over there. So I was, uh, and Edgar had told me, you know, if you want to experience God, you need to put some things into application. And do, you got to learn how to meditate like you learned how to walk and talk. So it took me three months to put a, really a saddle on the wild horse of me because I would leave the neighborhood and go out to the gardens or the beach. I was living, actually moved from the neighborhood. I was out in the projects, brand new projects. Everybody got along in those days before drugs came in and really deteriorated things even more. But it, so we all got to know each other. You know, went to school together. There was no groups already set up. So I was, uh, I was wondering, so I, I picked up on the meditation, and one day, I know I, I said this story, if you recall, I, I, I got a good friend of mine who inspired me to get into taking care of my body and eating vegetarian, and I put that with the meditation and the reading of people and wondering if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, where are the people being used by God? Not just talking like parrots, being used. So Edgar Casey for me, was the, was the first person I discovered reading his biography, there's a river that made me cry. I did not believe what I was reading, that a man could see through my body from Virginia Beach and I'm in the Bronx or no more than anybody went to school with no education. I, I didn't believe that, but on another level, it touched me. So three years later, after discovering him, here I am. I went upstate uh, to Pleasantville. I was doing a deep meditation. I said, I always meet people every day, which is true to today. And I said, when I do talk, I, I get a, a little hoarse after about an hour, hour and a half. So to strengthen my vocal cords, let me read some poetry. And I took a book of poetry out to the wooded area, a junior high school-sized football baseball field. And I sat down, did my meditation, read the poems, uh, and, and getting the insights and the musicality. And then I look up and I see a butterfly. And it, it, I said, well, that's interesting. And I, look, I go back to reading. Ten minutes later, I look up, I see it flutter and glide. I said, it's really beautiful. I go back to reading. The third time I looked up, it went around the whole circumference of this rectangular field, landed on the shrubs which turned out to be 168 feet away. Now, you may be remembering I said this story to you and others, but there are new people listening. Because what's going on with the world and, and the violence and the, the, the you know, possibility somebody could press a button and we could disappear in a half hour, or just the, the health crises and the economics. This is what I base my hope on everything, that we are not less than water. And what made me really experience that, that we outlast water, even though we go through the pain of seeing loved ones passing away or suffering, and friends and neighbors and so on. I'm sitting there, and I get I saw the butterfly land on the shrubs 168 feet away. Now, I never did mushrooms, hallucinogens, ayahuasca, never did any of that. Hadn't had pot in three years. I did it on weekends for a year. No meat for three years at that point. And I get this thought, your trees. Wouldn't it be beautiful if that butterfly could fly on my finger? Every time I think of it, I laugh, because that's when my, my brain, my, my condition, limited mind broke like an egg. I said, wouldn't it be beautiful if that butterfly could fly on my finger? Another thought said, don't be silly. You can't do that. That only happens in the fairy tale. Another thought said, whistle, but whistle high. So I put out my finger. I whistled. I let out this whistle, long extended whistle, and the butterfly takes off from the shrubs. I had my finger extended, the book of poetry is in my left hand, and it's coming towards me. When it landed on my finger, you trees, you know, we hear the word Holy Spirit. Even talking about it, I get really touched because I felt like... Um, my conscious mind, my subconscious, and my superconscious, like, like, like Positive was talking about, they unified. The Lord our God is one. I had this experience so peaceful, so, so wise, so aware. And this, to me, was the real world. Not that the world of destruction. And it showed me that I felt like God is real, and we can interact with it, and that we're all connected. I don't care if somebody's a Muslim, Hindu, even an atheist that we are all connected, we are figuring out this connection, but it isn't just an intellectual endeavor. It's even worse to read about spiritual literature and not follow it. So we, most people don't eat right. 
I got I had, couldn't even get a religious exemption for my job not to get a vaccine from the church. And uh, I, I, most people don't eat right, even though the Bible tells us to eat, you know, right. We don't meditate. And hence we and then the third part I indicated yesterday, do things for people in your neighbor, do things for people in general. And don't say, give me some money because of it. I found the paradise, you know, gardens within me and we all have it, but we have to work towards it. And this is my hope that basically we are not less than water. We are very loving beings. We are super wise if we really connect to our inner wisdom. But we need to work the the spiritual muscle, the mind, as much as we work our body with eating right and exercising. And that, to me, is the missing key why this whole world is in the, the chaos it is. We don't follow the good books. We just read them, but we don't actually act on it. And we don't have many teachers who act on it. So I'm not associated with any church. And by the way, the fellow who said that I wouldn't go all the way and say, you know, that basically I'm a spiritual person. I, I don't go all the way in admitting I belong to a certain box anywhere, because I take Jesus at his word. The kingdom is within me, not Jerusalem. Within me, within you, you trees, within David, within all of us. It's not in Mecca or Rome. It's in us. And we that man, the most selfless example of lovingness in this world, outside of any boxes, he showed us the way how to find our connection. Just love and love and love oneself, others, God. It's as simple as that. But due to application, it's as hard as that in the beginning, like exercising. As you know, doing that running when you were down at Gary's, you were aching and paining. But when you didn't do it after a while, that's what hurts, to start to slip and go back down the hill. So that's my contribution to today. I've had other stories, which I don't really need to share, because that was one of the first ones. And I realized that God is real. Israel, we're all connected. <laughs> no matter what the religion, and if we just keep that in mind, no matter what's going on, and live the best we can and reach out and be loving, even if the, the earth cracked open in front of me with an atomic bomb, I'm going to leave this planet with a loving heart. That's my main ideal or shooting star or guiding star. No matter what fearful factors are out there, I need to connect to the big guy, big lady, my drop of ocean to the ocean and just stay loving and positive as much as I can because at the end of it all, as you know, we get to wear a crown and we can join the ancestors. Even before we do, they can look down and smile upon us that their work and effort to raise us did not go in vain. So that's my little contribution, <laughs> although I think it's a big one for those who really hear what I'm saying. I'm not special, Eutrice. I have a GED. I worked. I cleaned toilet bowls before I left my job. I swept them up. I buffed. You know, I, I, I was a counselor once with youngsters. But because I don't get paid, don't mean I don't do these things today. Today, there's always somebody that we're going to meet today who needs our help. I turned them on to PRN. I turned them on to the spiritual teachers I know, and I turned them on to my personal story because I'm not selling anything, and that's a motive that we got to watch for, and that's what I leave with them. And like yesterday, I met Ida in the gardens, and I met Ava, a Fordham student, and I met Ida, an elderly black lady. We spent an hour looking at the colors on the tree, giving a silent sermon with its colors. She was looking almost as long as I was. Actually, she was. And that got us talking. And we had a wonderful discussion. And uh, that's how I go day by day. So I'm glad you're still there, Eutrice. I love I'm still here. Out there. And, and, <laughs> I'm still there. And, and even and, and, and you know, and even when you're not, you are you'll still be here. And and so because again, we're not less than water. You can't get rid of water. Water, ice, gas, water, ice, gas. And so the thing is though to know that you know, that's why for me the 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 message of Casey it's so valid that these rich folks who are destroying the world and themselves to get the pot of gold, if they really knew what they're putting out is going to come back, would they really do it? But they don't really believe there's a God. They say it to get votes and all that or to go to church and give money and look good, but they don't really believe it because if they knew that, the story of the rich guy in the Bible where he ended up because he didn't take care of the poor, they wouldn't do what they're doing. So, you know, praise in me. I even get a little compassion for them, although I get very angry sometimes when I see this, you know, six million children dying every year when they don't have to, and, of course, with the vaccines and going on and on. So I, I feel that they need to know that there are people in our time, George Washington Carver, Paramahansa Yogananda, Catherine Coleman, you know, Dr. King, these are people who go beyond the instinct of survival, you know, to self-survival and gave their lives. They went beyond the animal nature. They went beyond to, help, to show us 
How did he do that? Well, Dr. King said it. The Holy Spirit came on him with all his learning. He was fearful. The Holy Spirit came on him. He walked another 12 years. He could have had a great job in the, in the, you know, doing, doing the church work, teaching at universities, writing his books, watching his beautiful kids grow up, being with his wife. He gave it up because he knew he saw the coming of the Lord. And, and to that person who thinks, last point, that a lot of religious people think they just got to step back and wait for the whole thing to fall down, even though they contribute to the evil in many ways, I don't see it that way. We're all connected. We contribute to the place falling down or it's rising up. You don't step back and pay taxes, which is going to make a bomb, and think you're so innocent. Nobody's innocent down here. Nobody. So we, we, to think we're going to step back and not get involved with our neighbors, or I, I, t- I talk to many people in religions who just church talk about the vaccine things. Oh no, they were neutral; they didn't say nothing. I said, but the body's a temple. Where's it, why are they going to go against that? They don't want an abortion, but then they're going to let somebody get a, a needle, and, and all these kids get heart heart disease, or people dropping dead. The athletes—they're inconsistent. It's like Swiss cheese thinking. So I, I am a believer. I am an experiencer. I just don't happen to belong to a particular box, especially ones where they think you just step aside and the whole thing will fall down because we don't have to do anything. By not doing anything, there's two sins out there, my brother. Those we do and those that the sins of not doing anything. So don't forget that part when you're hiding out in some, some building somewhere thinking that uh, we don't have to do anything. It's going to fall down. God's going to magically step in in this part of history and do everything for us. It's never been like that. It'll never be like that. We're part of it. Look into the lives of the, the martyrs and, and, and the disciples, and the particularly all the great teachers, and particularly Jesus the Christ. So uh, God don't contradict himself. we got free will, brother, and we have to use it with his will to tune us up to do the good works out here. We don't leave things alone and think it's going to get better by stepping outside of it. Look out for the kids. Give them a book. Buy them something to eat. Look out for the elderly people. Help them up with their laundry. Help them up with their, their food. You know, get, talk with them. Give them a hug. The animals are just crying in the backyard. Give them a can of food. You know, you don't step away and think it's going to get better. That thinking, to me, is very dangerous. And I know a lot of religious people have that thinking. I do believe that better days are coming, but I believe we have to contribute towards that happening. We're here to be emissaries of that love, not to step back and think he's going to do everything. He did a lot already, brother. He said, you too can be Thank used you. for miracles. Thank you, Gino. uh, Thanks for calling in, and thank you for sharing with us what your deepest feelings are. Thank you. Uh, And speaking of Brother David, guess who's next? Brother David. Uh, Good afternoon. Good afternoon. (laughs) Uh, As some of you already know, I, I started this road of life in the early 30s. And uh, when I uh, started this on this road, uh, I was essentially taught that uh, MD physicians uh, were, you know, essentially uh, deified, and uh, there was nothing like uh, visiting uh, uh, with Dr. Haring at the time, and they even made house calls. So I had this uh, attitude that I was taught early on, and as I went along, and later on in life, uh, I learned other things. I learned that there were many other type of physicians other than MD physicians, and I learned that... uh, and the physicians uh, were not experts on nutrition. Uh, they weren't uh, necessarily experts on lifestyle. And I learned also that uh, their medical opinion in many cases uh, was uh, questionable. I learned about the Flexner Report uh, uh, in the early part of the 20th century when other forms of medical service were discouraged and the pharmaceutical companies took over the medical schools. And uh, further on along that line of life, I learned that some of the decisions that 
physicians make uh, uh, quite often may not be the best decisions. Uh, They're based on economics and so forth. So that is my road on learning new things as I've gone through life. So I'm lucky to survive as long as I have, even with the mistakes that uh, have been made in medical uh, conditions. Uh, I understand now that most MD physicians practice what uh, some people would call Rockefeller medicine because essentially the uh, ruling authorities have taken over the medical school, uh, the pharmaceutical companies have big influence on the medical school, and most of medicine is based on allopathic, what they call allopathic medicine, which is pharmaceuticals, surgery, and radiation. So, so that is a long road. So in spite of the mistakes that have been made in my case, uh, I, I'm not going to spend time telling you what they were. Uh, I am still learning. You're not going to tell us the, the, the really good stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, a, a number of mistakes were made, injuries to me, and I have learned that I should not have been so uh, enthusiastic about taking advice that was not in my best interest and the interest of the bank account of those doctors. Yes, but not in my best interest. Not your interest at all. No. Have you changed your mind considerably from where you started out on this very question to today? Yes. Uh, I have changed my mind. Uh, this idea of uh, get a second opinion, it's no good to get a second opinion if you're going to look at the partner of the uh, physician that you got the first opinion from. You need to do more research before you agree to procedures that not may not be in your best interest, number one, or uh, you need to search out other procedures that, that uh, let's say, MD physician uh, don't, doesn't talk to you about because uh, that has a different economic benefit for him. So... There are things that he will tell you, oh, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And there are other ways, uh, if you listen to uh, Dr. Noll or, or you research on your own, you'll find there are other ways of doing what needs to be doing for that medical service that you need uh, that uh, you can find out would be not as risky or, or uh, and uh, uh, in your interest with, uh, you know, without the danger. So that's, that's a very important lesson. Don't assume that that MD doctor knows everything. There are other ways of doing things that may not even be mentioned to you. So that is a long road that I travel, and to get to that point, is uh, is is quite a thing. So uh, I've been wounded, but I'm still kicking. And All right. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm wounded, but I'm still kicking. That's, That's great. That's a, That's a great That's mindset. Uh, well, thank you for calling in and sharing today, as you usually do. Uh, people tend to pay great attention to you because what you are offering 
has no uh, what's the word? No artificiality about it. It's real, and so right. we listen. We listen to you. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. All right. Thank you for all the greatness that things that you do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Well, that brings us to the end of our program today, and. I could have gone on for another three or four hours with this because if you listened closely, you get the sense that those who are offering these pearls of wisdom don't often get a chance to do it. Despite all the goodies that they have stored up that they want to share, because the, the the way things are these days is that we're not really interested in listening to each other, are we? We don't really want to hear your story. We want you to hear, you know, our story. <laughs> and that is not good communication. What we've been doing is very good communication. People talking to other people and relating their truths and sharing their truths. And I'm just riveted every time it happens. Like today, I thank you, Marcus, and E from Edgewater, and Dylan, and Gino, and Brother David. We missed one person. If we have time tomorrow, we'll do it then. Uh, so that we, we give the whole roster a chance to express themselves. I thank you very much for adding value to the program by participating enthusiastically as you do, by sharing very good information, sharing, of course, most of all, your own personal experience and in that is a great deal of wisdom. You, you warn us, you, you give us props, as they say, when we, you think you've done the right thing. And you are engaged with others in the exchange of information. And that's really what the purpose of the radio station is, and certainly of this program. So thank you so much. Let's get together again tomorrow and see what else we have to talk about. Bye-bye.